Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor. In today's episode, Ian and I will be exploring some of our favorite covers. Songs that oftentimes we didn't even realize were covers, or simply made us reevaluate our relationships with the original songs, helped us rediscover those songs, and oftentimes connect the dots between different genres and artists across generations. We had a lot of fun with this episode, and we will be doing more of them in the future. Do you have any favorite covers that we may have overlooked or may have not gotten around to yet? Please let us know which ones you'd like to discuss. You can send us an email to needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us or subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. Also, we're wrapping up our Mayor of Easttown recap and discussion show. The show wraps up this week and we'll be having a couple of episodes to wrap things up. So I hope you've been listening along. If not, there's still time to catch up. And with that out of the way, let's start the conversation. And I'll talk to you again after the episode. Ian back on the episode again, hot on the heels of us, our discussion of Harry Nilsson and then Prince, we kept running into a pattern or anyway, it was a pattern for me that we have songs that were covered by other artists that had been made famous by those artists. And then, uh, and this is kind of something that I'm always curious about anyway, is just covers in general as this, you know, I've kind of touched on it multiple times already in the course of this uh, podcast, but it's this idea that things become cultural memes and get reused. And, uh, and I love to see how history changes the context of something and also how people reinterpret that. So in the case of Nilsson, we talked about how he came, rose to fame with his two huge covers, the, the cover for uh, Midnight Cowboy theme. And of course, uh, Without You, which I didn't even realize was a cover. And this is kind of the, what started this conversation. And then on the Prince side, we have all those examples of songs that he wrote for other people or were covered. You know, Nothing Compares to You, probably the most famous example, but also the um, When You Were Mine as well. It's a song that probably is more famous for its cover than for its original. So that started this thought in my head of like how having an episode just around this. And I know that Ian, uh, especially with your interest in reggae, right? And like also you're very into like sample culture, right? But then, yeah, looking through it in a broader perspective down through history, you have uh, all these examples of old folk and spiritual songs being revamped, you know, in the sixties and the folk revival movement and uh, everybody getting into blues around that time for the British invasion kind of British blues. So it's just always neat to see like how these different ideas uh, can kind of wind their way through, through history we kind of limited our scope. Well, you kind of have to, obviously we don't want to do another uh, three and a half hour podcast on print anytime <laughs> soon. I don't know. So I'll kick things off. So I have for you, maybe my favorite 
ever cover. So my experience of this song is that I knew the cover first. Love this song immediately as soon as I heard it. And I'll give you a clue that it's an R&B song from the 70s, early 70s. That's a clue. And then later on, I discovered that this is a band that I probably never took very seriously. And it turns out that not only was this song originally written by them, was theirs, it turned out a massive hit for them. I think like an international number one hit and not even aware of it. And uh, oh, and so the last clue for you, if you guess what it is, is that <laughs> it looks like you're lost right now. But uh, the clue, uh, the last clue, possibly uh, the first song comes out, I think, 71. And then the cover comes out in 72, a song that's popular on the radio at that moment. Are any of the bands involved here British? I believe they were originally British when they were younger, but I think they began recording in Australia. Now I'm thinking it's the Bee Gees. It is the Bee Gees. So I'll tell you oh. that you got you got that right. You got the Bee Gees. Okay. Shoot. All right. So I'm gonna play, and I don't even know if people know the song anymore. It was a massive hit. Down to the Bee Gees. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, it is the Bee Gees. So Bee Gees are not the cover artists. The Bee Gees are the original artists. They wrote this song. Oh. Okay. It, okay. So huge international hit. So what do you think of it? And do you know who covered it? Yeah, I think I, I think you're probably talking about the Al Green cover. Yes. I thought that, hey, wow, that's awesome. It sounded more like a old country song to me than. Well, they know. had like, it's weird. They had their early hits. Uh, what was that one hit about Massachusetts, the Massachusetts coal mine or whatever? Like one of their first big international hits was like, so funny. They're talking about like just in this like a uh, coal mine collapse in Massachusetts. And I'm like, what are these Australians <laughs> writing about you know, this song? But No, you're right. Yeah. Before the, their pre-disco stuff, they were very much more in the mode of like the kinks and like the Beatles and they weren't as funky, but they still could write a great song. Yeah. And I think that's the key to it, by the way, is that even listening to this song now, which is a good song, don't get me wrong, uh, that it still is like, you know, maybe just because I know their disco song so much and like their their vocal technique is almost like a, a, a meme of its own. <laughs> so it like kind of distracts from the quality of the songwriting. But um, anyway, that song was a huge hit. And this is why I wanted to open up on this one, because it's kind of the prototype for all of these possible once and then maybe none of them will be as good even my i don't think are as good as this one so i kind of just talk about this al green cover it's on let's stay together uh this was never released as a single i think it's a b-side but in retrospect i think it just gained a huge amount of notoriety for its quality there's different types of artists some people are artists because they're singer songwriters they're bob dylan whatever else great artists like that prince right writes and performs all his own music but there's something to be said for being a great interpreter of music and i think al green in this regard is like he makes the song greater he finds something an emotion another register in the song and it's incredible i love it i can think of younger days when i lived for my life was everything a man could want to do i could never see
stop the rain falling down. Tell me how can you stop the rain? Yeah, so that that one always gets me. It's incredible. I mean, his vocals are incredible. The golden period of Al Green it, with high records rhythm section and mm-hmm. the horns and everything. yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that was BG song. Like, it really does sound more that Hank Williams or George Jones or some like country tune. That's really cool. I, I like that, and like you said, it's pretty contemporaneous, right? They're- yeah, I think the yeah, I, I'm pretty sure the Bee Gees record was like '71, I believe, and uh, and this is '72. And what I find so interesting about it, by the way, is exactly what you said: is that the first one, the Bee Gees version, has a very folky feel to it, like almost a country feel to it, right? And and it, it just goes again, speaks to the relationship between R and B and country, like or what they used to call you know country and soul records at the time. And like you said, it's just like, I mean, they didn't even change the arrangement, right? Like he has the, the, the strings come in at the same time. The, um, uh, the, it's the same chord progression, everything else, but you just change the instrumentation a little bit. Yeah. And now it's like, feels very, I mean, it feels not only like R and B, it feels like a, like a prototypical, um, stereotypical, um, uh, R and B song of that time. Right. It's, a, you know, the production has a lot to do with that also, but it's just very interesting that you can just kind of change a couple things around and it goes from sounding like, you know, a country song to a, to an R and B song. They're the kissing cousins basically. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was great. Um, and that's actually kind of a good segue. So along the same line. So my first one that I'm going to drop in here, the song is older than the BG song. Well, tell me, you try, let me see if I can guess the artist, try to get, give okay. me a clue about the artist, about the original artist. They uh, started out as a skiffle band. Hmm. They were on the Ed Sullivan show. The Beatles? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that was a... Yeah, it's a Beatles song. And it was a uh, B-side single for a, a very popular artist to the early 70s. Early 70s. B-side. Very popular. Is it Elton John? No, no, American artist. Okay. Yeah, he did Lucy in the Sky with Don. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, it's not Joe Cocker. Well, that's not a B-side either, right? No, and he's British. Oh, right, right. Forget these clues. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I don't know. It's Al Green. Oh, Al and Green again. Wow. <laughs> the, the best part is to me is the intro in the song because it's some studio banter that's just really hilarious so yeah we got the feeling now we got the feeling now oh boy that was all right man Tell me, 
I think I've ever heard that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one of the uh, best Beatle covers ever. I would say. Man, Al Green was killing it back then at that time. <laughs> Man. Yeah. So that, yeah, that to me, like one, the intro where it's like, "Shut up, Al Green." That is. Now, yeah, this hilarious that there. That was that live. Was that a live recording or? or, or no, it's a it's a studio. In studio. Oh, that from the the recording booth, I guess you know. But yeah, it's super funky and like um, the original was in '66 or '64 even. Yeah, it just makes it so much more punchy. Once again, I love when you take something and, uh, you know, they just kind of change the ingredients there in the recipe. And it's like a very, very different feel, right? Yeah. Speaking of that, I might as well just do it. All right. So I've already teased this, that it's going to be Al Green once again. All right. The original this time is Al Green. It's covered, like you said, changing it up. So this is instrumentation is different. It's a different feel. It's a very, very popular song. The cover is very, very popular. And the cover is released... Maybe four or five years after. I kind of give you a clue. The cover artist is like a foundational New York scene band, like a, the whole CBGB scene. Oh, uh, Take Me to the River by the Talk. Yes, exactly. Yep, yep. So, yeah, so uh, if people may not know, this uh, is a cover, by the way. So, here is the Al Green original. I'd like to dedicate this song. Junior Park. A cousin of mine is going on, but we'd like to. He loves to talk. Carry on in, his name. <laughs> in that like beginning of the song. I sang. horns in that by the way that's something that's not in the talking heads version no no it isn't um yeah that's the thing and it's pretty hilarious that we've landed on three straight al green <laughs> connected things and i think a lot of that does have to do with like the horn and the string section although in how can mend a broken heart there's not really too much horns that's another great one and the record that the Talking Heads put that on, I think, is uh, more songs about building and food, buildings and food. One of the coolest things about New Wave, just mixing up genres, was the coolest uh, and most innovative part of like New Wave to me. That made it um, a little more appealing than punk, like someone like the B-52s, yeah, where they just sounded like this zany kind of like 50s garage surf rock. Well, I think that's what's so interesting about punk itself is, um, and I wasn't, into, I mean, I didn't grow up, <laughs> I wasn't, that, I'm not that old, <laughs> so I wasn't there when punk was happening, but what I think is fascinating about punk is that punk led to all these things, right, so it was very, like, when I was growing up, it's like, you know, grunge music, for example, and it was like, oh, you know, grunge was, 
um, you know, the thing, but then they were, you know, goth was big at the time too, like the cure, it was becoming mainstream and Susie and the Banshees and bands like that in the nineties had gone mainstream and uh, the Pixies were really popular. And there's kind of like this poppy version of, you know, alternative music and, uh, um, and, uh, oh, and uh, so I mentioned goth already. What was the other one? Oh, I was going to say also, and like, you have like Duran Duran on the radio and stuff like that. So you have these like bands that like are, you know, on their face, like not related at all. Like, you know, when you're in the middle of it, they're just, you know, all over the map. There's no association between these bands. But then when you go back into the seventies, for example, it's like, you know, Duran Duran, like is like a, a punk band. And then they integrate like disco into their sound. You know, they even get produced by um, Niles Rogers eventually. Right. Which they idolized. Right. And then, uh, you know, uh, but then you have, uh, you know, uh, like you said, you have the B-52s bringing in this like, you know, um, 50s uh, surf rock type sound. You have the Pixies integrating that surf guitar sound as well. And then you have the whole goth thing, like whether it's like Bauhaus or Susie the Banshees, which begin as, uh, and Perubu as well, begin as like punk bands. And then they start going into a goth direction. And uh, yeah, I mean, you could go down the line, you go look at the, the Depeche Mode and uh, New Order or something that also began as punk rock bands and then, you know, became elect electronic and that leads to all electronic music. Nine Inch Nails. And yeah, exactly. And that's what I find fascinating about, oh, and like even what you were saying, so this kind of this world music that came up, like, you know, Talking Heads were big, it, very uh, influential there. But then The Clash, right? The Clash starts off as like literally like a three chords, that's it, power punk band. And then by the time they get into the early, you know, Sandinista and stuff, they're integrating rap music and rap, reggae and you name it, right? It's all that yeah. it's all mixed in there, right? So and then you have Peter Gabriel, who's like yeah. already yep. party kind of guy and yep. um, from Genesis and Paul Simon. Yeah. Um, yep. Which I think, you know, it's kind of funny because those those older heads like Paul Simon or, or Peter Gabriel too, they were kind Kind of, and you can put David Bowie, I think, in this category too. I think he was a little more forefront than those other two guys, but they like saw what was going on, I think, in a lot of ways and took cues from like new wave acts um, that were doing more integrative uh, stylistic approaches. Well, Bowie's interesting because he does all of it, right? So Bowie starts off as like a folk performer, right? And then he becomes like a punk rocker, right? Like, or plays one on TV, right? When he plays uh, uh, Iggy Pop. I mean, Iggy Pop, what am I talking about? I mean, I yeah. guess that's the influence, by the way. But um, uh, Ziggy Stardust. Um, uh, and I probably never made the connection that he's probably, Ziggy is probably Iggy until I just accidentally made that slip. But um, uh, yeah, so then he's, uh, you know, he's Ziggy Stardust, but then he goes through glam and then he's, uh, you know, and punk there as well before punk even happens, right? Like, you know, Rebel Rebel. Yeah. Yeah. So he's basically, you know, has punk, you know, right there at the beginning. But like you said, he goes through glam. He's covering he goes through a whole like he's the White Duke. Right. So he's playing all these like R&B covers at one point. Then he's working with Brian Eno and he's like electronic before electronic music takes off. And then uh, and then he uh, you know, then he's uh, working with Miles Rogers once again on Let's Dance. Yeah. Right. And uh, uh, and like now he's got dance music going. OK, my next one, it's um, again, it's a, a contemporaneous cover pretty much i think the original came out in 66 or something like that and this cover came out not even a year or two later hmm. and it's the cover is off the beaten path for sure uh the original um it's also been covered subsequently and has reached number one it actually was number one i believe when it actually came out like the original was num a number one song and then it was covered again by somebody else that's not my cover choice. Um, 
but reached number and, one and then in the another number one. Yeah, in the eighties, like eighty. And it's sixty-six. You said. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, the original Is it British, British artist. Uh, no, uh, American, American original. It's not Money Money, is it? Uh, I think that's the same band. Oh, okay. Hmm. Tommy, uh, what's his name? Tommy. Uh, Tommy James and the Shondells. Tommy James and the Shondells. Oh, wow. They have, yeah, they have a bunch of them that have been covered. Okay. Crimson so not Money Money, but Crimson Clover. Oh, man. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Love this one. So Joan Jett took that mm-hmm. number one. Um, I think it was seventy nine or eighty or. cover of that uh, which was pretty close after the release i like is uh by the unique uh a jamaican vocal group a reggae group And was that was that was that a hit here? Or was it a hit anywhere? I, I think it was popular in Jamaica, I believe. At the time. Yeah, but you know, uh, didn't it wasn't like a crossover success. But it was another one of those examples of like how uh, you would just have somebody from another country or another region. The original is very dreamy in a way. Um, that one has a little more like vibrancy to it. Yeah, I love it. What when when did that Tommy James uh, song come out? By the way. Uh, let me check. I, and the funny thing with that, too, was like he was like graduating high school or when you recorded it and then the band really went nowhere. And then most of the band members like split off to go to school and then got into the hands of some DJ and it became like a hit. So he reformed a band, hmm. recorded a, a record based on the success of that uh, that song. That was like Louie Louie, right, where they um, they jammed that together. And uh, basically, it was just a throwaway. And then that became the A-side. And then they had to, like, reform yeah. the band to, like, actually tour with it. Yeah, they're like, oh, I didn't even think we were together anymore. But this is, people are asking us to uh, perform this. So, All right, here's mine. This band, I don't think this was ever a single for them, by the way. Let me just double check. They had some huge hits in the 60s. Psychedelic, late 60s, and covered by a grunge band. Not this song that I'm going to play, but they had a song, which was a number one hit that was covered and became a number one hit. 
They're a Dutch rock band. This is very weird. Dutch psychedelic rock band. Shoes. Um, yeah, I think that just short circuited me. Actually, <laughs> this is a this is a deep cut. So even even though like you'll know the songs for sure, but then it, may, it, it none of this trivia might help. Yeah, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm just thinking of no, I don't know. Enlighten me. The song they had that went to number one all over the world, massive, massive success, was Venus, and it was covered in the uh, 80s, obviously. not know once again this is a pretty deep cut so you may still may not know the band yeah no it's i i'll know the song i'm i'm sure of that but i'm coming up blank now this is shocking blue which had their biggest hit of course was venus like i mentioned but they had a few uh, big hits back in the day and uh the song is love buzz and it's covered by nirvana so i said this is might be pretty deep cut on both regards so yeah we played it. <laughs> cool this, and this is a perfect example of a song that the Nirvana song that I never would have suspected yeah, totally. this was a cover. Right? And for right yeah. Would you believe me when I tell you you're the king of my dreams? Please don't deceive me when I hurt you. It just ain't the way you see. did not know that was a, a cover that nirvana did but you can definitely see the um the appeal the martial drums and mm-hmm. like this kind of dark yeah ominous kind of like little like bass led progression and then the loud quiet parts yeah that that's cool oh wow i didn't know that yeah and i'll just play a little bit of the Nirvana version, which is off of Bleach. It's off their first album. I have a little trivia about Bleach, but I just found out about recently, which I thought was pretty cool also.
um, trivia I had, which I thought was pretty cool, was I just saw recently the documentary Hype, which you can watch for free on like Pluto TV or something. And it's about the whole, you know, the you know Seattle scene at the time. And it's taking place in like 92, 93. So it's still like at the peak, there's a lot of bands that they're interviewing. But what they found really interesting is that the Sub Pop itself, the label, uh, they kind of established themselves to have um, a, a like a sound. And the way that they churned out these singles was that they basically set up all the equipment in this room and they had a producer, the same producer for every single single that they released uh, on Sub Pop. So that, that's why I had that kind of very uniform sound, but they were just churning these out, like t one band coming in after the other, after the other, and they were just churning out these singles. So they talked to the engineer and talking about recording Bleach. And they said, yeah, like, you know, Kurt Cobain, like booked the time and they walked in there. And this is the shocking thing about it. They recorded 13 songs in one afternoon the entire album wow and he was just like and he was just like he listened to the record he goes yeah yeah this is gonna this is good this is a good one <laughs> but i started it's hilarious they just kind of walked in the one afternoon recorded the whole entire album in like basically one take for the whole album and that's it they they, they took it off the board and pressed it and that was it that was bleach and that's like um that makes sense to me um because you know kurt was uh, a vowed beatles fanatic right and that totally kind of mirrors like the first Beatles record, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they went yep. and banged. That's why um, Twist and Shout, like uh, John's voice is so so ragged because it's like the end of a 13-hour a session where they did the entire album or something like that, you know? Wow, wow. I didn't realize that. So everything comes around full circle again. Yeah. I also think that they like, you know, had like, he had like $800 to record the whole thing. So it's kind of just like one day session. He's just like, let's do as many, let's record as much as we can all in one shot. Right. Yeah. But I would not have known that. Honestly, you know, Bleach is obviously not as produced as Nevermind and everything else, but, but I would not have guessed that that record, which is pretty polished is, you know, was produced so quickly. Do you have, do you have another? This is a more, there's a bigger jump. So the original song here, I think came out in maybe 1960. Um, <laughs> very early classic rock and roll it's covered about 22 years later another reggae cover uh but uh one of the biggest names in reggae at the time covered bob marley by... nope close hmm, close to bob marley yeah like he used to be in a band with him all right it's, it's peter tosh oh wow okay yeah he covers johnny b good oh okay by Chuck Berry. And this is mm -hmm. this one's interesting too because you know it's very stylistically a departure. Um, and then he also modifies some of the lyrics, which I kind of like that when people have enough, you know, ownership over doing the cover to like you know, change the actual song. That's also a reggae thing too, right? Because you a lot of times they would like take the riff but then change the lyrics or vice versa, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's all in keeping with that that tradition and the overall kind of like covering sampling.
yeah, radically different. And yeah, I mean, they changed it all the way. Yeah, that was <laughs> really cool. I have to bring, I have to up my reggae game because this would have, you know, and I don't have any reggae on here, but reggae would have been a great um, uh, uh, category for this because it's such a, uh, you know, that it's like, you know, it's, it's one of those genres that is like a meme based, right? It's like really like about taking a groove or taking lyrics and then remixing them in some way, you know? They had um, just barely getting radio reception and like vinyl records from like places like New Orleans and Miami and places like that in the States. And that all bled into Jamaican music and like changed reggae as the way American popular music changed. They incorporated it and just moved forward with their own kind of like sound version based on those trends in a lot of ways so reggae to me is like the first like kind of real melting pot world music that got accepted mm -hmm. in the world and i think it, it instigated that to a large extent and um yeah because it became so popular like you said it kind of brought that it, you know made it brought it to like a broader culture <clears throat> and then you started seeing more and more of it although i mean i guess everything's a melting pot of music when you really think about it yeah but uh, like you said it was like the first time someone's like kind of intentionally doing that rather than like almost uh, accidentally doing it with some of the genres of music we have here in the U.S. But um, yeah, it makes me think about like Louis Louis, for example, when you're talking about some of those things, you know, uh, when I was like digging into Louis Louis, you have a situation where it's like, you know, you have a cha-cha song, right? That's then covered with Spanish lyrics, right? Which then being covered by um, like a, a, a rock uh, musician. Garage band. Who's, and yeah, well, that's, yeah. Then it becomes the, the garage band version of it. And then that like kind of initiates, like almost like becomes like a prototype for punk rock, right? So that, like you said, it like almost, that's not only that it's garage rock, it's almost like the beginning of garage rock, right? And then and of course- Two to the Maytals has a great cover of Louis Louis. Yeah, exactly. So it's all, yeah, Louis Louis, by the way, is one of those songs that fascinates me because it's like almost like you could just look at that one explicit song and you can see like the whole history of rock and roll in it. It's like the, it's the merging of, you know, basically a rock and roll cover of a, of a cha-cha song. Right. And it's like, you know, what rock and roll was doing at the time, which was taking other genres and folk, making them into yeah. folk music and bring it to like to electric and higher energy or whatever. Right. And then it becomes not only that it becomes mainstream, it like launches in some ways, like a genre of its own. And then, like you said, and then it becomes reused in like a reggae song and rap songs. It just keeps going and going and going. Right. So yeah. 50 years from now, we'll still be listening to some version of Louie Louie yeah. on TikTok or whatever the replacement of TikTok is. <laughs> you know, the riff will never go away. All right. So let's do one more. Okay. Okay. Do you want, these are all pretty straightforward. You're probably going to know. I'm just going to tell you the artist. Well, one of them is not straightforward at all. So the ones you're probably going to guess is, do you want to hear a contemporaneous cover of a Bruce Springsteen song in a different genre, or this is from the seventies, or do you want to hear Bowie covering someone also in the seventies? What's it? You can probably guess that one. Uh, or do you want to hear a contemporary Black Sabbath cover that doesn't sound anything like, well, doesn't sound that much like the original. Let me go for the last one. Okay, I love this one, by the way. I'm glad you picked it. So this is, um, I remember playing this song for Kim, by the way, and uh, she didn't even know that the original Black Sabbath song, she goes, that's a Black Sabbath song. But then this is actually perfect because it comes full circle to my first pick. So the, the Black Sabbath song is Changes, which I'm sure you know. But in a very different register for people who know Black Sabbath. 
which is a beautiful song, by the way, right? And um, and uh, I, th- I feel it's forgotten because you know everybody knows Black Sabbath from you know being like this, uh, you know, the, the, the spawn of all heavy metal, <laughs> in my opinion, anyway. And um, uh, but this cover is from the Daptone record label, and it's uh, Charles Bradley. Do you know this cover? Yeah, oh, you do. Okay, good. Yeah, love this cover. And uh, so anybody who doesn't know this, Charles Bradley, I mean, he's been around for a long time. I really don't know his biography, but uh, he's an older guy, but he's, uh, this is only his third, uh, this came off his third solo record is in the, in the late two, I mean, it's like three, four years old, I think at this point. Yeah. He passed away actually a couple. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh my God. Um, I wasn't aware. Uh, I think, yeah. Right around the time this, this actually got released. Uh, wow. Yeah. Apparently he, for a long time, he was doing like, uh, you know, like nightclub gigs and James mm-hmm. Brown cover shows and stuff like that. And then, you know, his tenure at uh, the Daptone record label was basically kind of like his professional debut as far as being recorded and recognized in that light. It's a somewhat similar to uh, Sharon Jones as well, right? Who became, uh, you know, uh, yeah. on Daptones, became more famous later in her her life. Who unfortunately also passed away recently yeah. in cancer. <clears throat> yeah, and um, yeah, they're both um, just great stories too of like, uh, you know, perseverance. Yeah, yeah. This cover by him is, is great. Again, it's like if you like music, like you don't you really don't recognize genre like right you know i'll say generally okay i don't like polka <laughs> but if there's a cool polka song out there and i've probably heard it or i will you can find a lot of inspiration in like anything and that's why stereotypes are stupid like right. i wouldn't think charles bradley would be getting down with you know sweet leaf and early lead uh, early uh black sabbath yeah, this cover is great. And it all comes full circle, not only because we have this, uh, you know, reinterpretation of something that is um, from like a white musician, for example, that is made more um, bluesy in, in its cover, uh, like that Al Green cover that started off the, the, the this uh, thing. And like, you know, Black Sabbath is doing blues is basically what it is. And um, and that's all it is. Right. But this is a beautiful version of this. And his vocals are incredible. I feel unhappy.
and that's the Budos band, which is like the house band. I think it's the house band. I looked at that. Uh, and uh, which is a great, great band, by the way. They also played on some of those Amy Winehouse songs as well. But um, yeah, yeah, great, great backup band. But anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I've, uh, I've just recently, like probably in the past year or two, started listening to him, and I didn't even realize he had passed away. But um, yeah, I really, really enjoy him. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's a great song. His actually, it's funny. I, um, we jam on that too uh, a little bit during band practice because it's so, it's so cool, and like it's just you know um they don't change the uh again like they're not changing the arrangement right really up dramatically at all it's just like different emphasis and you have another example of how a horn section just makes yeah better <laughs> yep yeah so it's, it's funny that you picked that one uh out of the list because it may be because you knew it <laughs> but it really brings it full circle but my my, my cho- choices back to like you said it has a lot of the same um a very different original song obviously <clears throat> but taking that you know slowing it down adding the horns uh you know really brings it a, a different uh, color to it and the vocals of course right i feel that you know ozzy's a good vocalist i, I mean i think ozzy osbourne yeah, was never a fan of his in the 80s i was already you know i thought it was a kind of that cheesy rock and roll uh, for me growing up, but, um, but Black Sabbath was great. And, uh, you know, he's like a, a great front man for that band back in, uh, you know, we're talking the 50 years ago now, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, he's definitely, but not, doesn't have the same kind of, um, emotional charge that like someone like, uh, I think Charles Bradley, that all tracks for me. I mean, uh, Ozzy's definitely one of the, um, he's m- one of the more distinctive voices yeah. in rock. You want to play out on something? Do you have one you want to play out on? Yeah, so I think I did five. So you have, uh, you can, I'll do, wrap up. yeah, you know, I, I cheated too. Like I said, I have like 12 songs on here, but uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. We'll do another one, I'm sure. We do another, um, another Beatles cover, and this is, uh, again, kind of pretty contemporaneous, I would say. And it's, uh, Stevie Wonder, we can work it out. Oh, I love this one. Try to see things my way. So that was the conversation. Once again, we'd love to hear any covers that you'd like us to cover, no pun intended, in a future episode. Send us an email to needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Once again, make sure you subscribe so you know when we have new episodes. We have some news coming. We're going to have additional recap shows. We'll be covering Loki. We'll be covering Evil on Paramount+. Plus have that service and you may have it and not know it and we'll have more music related episodes as well so thanks again and discovering us and sharing us with your friends hope you discovered some new music today and i hope you keep discovering new music it's one of my great pleasures in life and i hope i can share that with you talk to you soon